Guys, you can open your Bibles. Um, if you need a Bible, the, the ushers will come by and uh, raise your hand. They'll get one to you. So visitors, you can wake up. And uh, <laughs> regular attenders, you can wake up. Let's get into God's Word this morning. Oh, yeah, there's Sue right there. Hey, we're happy to have you. How is she, how is she feeling, Steve? I know her voice probably can't project that far. Do you, Moving a lot, yeah, I guess, huh? You're here. That's amazing. Well, we're we're we're, uh, we're honored to have you here, Sue. Um, okay, you can open up your Bibles to Second Corinthians five. Second Corinthians five. We're going to be reading um, verse, basically from verse eleven, and then I'm going to skip to verse fourteen down to verse twenty-one. Um, before I, I do that, let me just remind us uh, where we are we we are now in our third and final value as a church we've looked at our faith we've looked at our community and now we're looking at our mission our mission how we know and love the world how we know and love the world and just to give you a heads up similar to our handling of the first two values today is going to be very similar i'm going to reintroduce the value to us in a deeper way and then I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna kind of unfold for us a passion, uh, that kind of comes out from this value. And that'll be it for the morning. Um, but the key text I identified for this value of mission was 2 Corinthians 5.20. I want to read it in context here. So let's start in verse 11. And then we'll read this text. Let me pray and we'll dive in. Therefore, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Now drop down to verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray, guys. Uh, Father, Thank you for the grace 
of the gathering of your people. Thank you, Jesus, that you call us together around the cross to revel again in what you've done for us and what you're calling us into. Jesus, I don't know what people come into this room dealing with, but I know it's a lot. I know there's stuff people want to celebrate, and I know there's stuff people want to just lay down on the floor and cry about. I'm praying today that by your grace and by the power of your spirit, you would meet us in these moments. You would show us, show us the story, show us the mission we've been called up and into. Show us the God who stands over everything, gives meaning to it all, and has put us back together and is now using us to bring others back as well. Lord, I need your help. Ask for the power of your spirit in my speaking and preaching, I ask God that you would help all of us in our hearing. So many times, Jesus, walking this earth, you let out those words, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Oh God, I pray that in this room, you, by your spirit, would grant us ears to hear what you would say to this church. No one's here to hear from me. We're all here to hear from you. Open your word to us, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay. So, let me reintroduce this value of mission to you. Um, I wonder how many of us uh, are aware of just what it is that we've actually been called into. Um, as Christians, I mean, I think we get how amazing it is that God saved us from our sin, that he has, you know, put our sin on his son and we are forgiven and we are reconciled with him. But I wonder how many of us realize (laughs) that he's not only saved us for himself, he's actually now partnered with us in, in, in this mission to the world. I wonder how many of us are aware of the breathtaking reality that we are in fact partners with God, that we've been created and now redeemed to be partners with God. It sounds to me when I say it almost blasphemous, as if God kind of needed me or somehow I'm on an equal plane, like we're partners in this thing. No way. I would think it was blasphemous were it not biblical. I'm not saying that we are equal with God in any way. He is the creator. We are the creature. He is the potter. We are the clay. He is the master. We are the slave. He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. He's the father. We're the kid. Keep going with it. He is greater in every way. And yet, the Bible also says he's made us partners with him 
in his mission. That he has put us on uh, the holy march of his mission uh, in this world. When you think about it, uh, I hope by the end of this message, at least as we think about it, you'll find everything in your life uh, infused with new meaning, new purpose, new life. Because I'll, I'll tell you guys, um, you were created for more than the nine to five. It might not feel like that week in and week out. Does it just kind of feel like a hamster in a wheel? And what am I doing? I'm just nine to five. You were created for more. And the nine to five, you were created for more than a big house and a picket fence. You're created for more than family dinners and late night television. You're created for more than uh, getting a good college degree and then a good career and then a good family and then a, a nice retirement. You're created for more than this. That's what, that's what the Bible is, 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 is going to say to us here. That's what God is going to say to you here. He wants to partner. You were created to partner with the living God in turning the world to glory. That's why you're here. That's what God wants to do with you. Now, I've used this word, we, we were created for so much more, created for partnership. And I, I use that word on purpose, uh, because it's been this way, God's design from the beginning. And as for the previous values, I've kind of spent real quick moments reflecting on, on creation and Adam and Eve, and then moving towards what we have now in Jesus as he regains it. Let me show you here uh, as we begin. I wonder if you realize that when... God created man. He immediately, he immediately put them on his mission. That God actually designed, created uh, human beings to partner with him from the beginning. Not because he needed them. Because he wanted them. He wanted, to, he wanted relationship with them. Wanted them to participate in his great work. Knew that we would find life and meaning there. Genesis 2.5, Adam is told by God after he's created and set in the garden to work and keep it. And then when God brings Eve to Adam, together they are told to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. That's Genesis 1.28. Work, keep, be fruitful, multiply. These are all action verbs. These are all missional activities. I want you, Adam and Eve, now to take this, this, this garden sanctuary and move it out. If I were to borrow language from um, the definition I gave you back in session one of the church, it's as if, it's as if God was saying, hey, Adam and Eve, take humanity, take my presence and go out as my people uh, with my purpose into all the world. They're to take his presence and multiply his people and go out with his purpose. That's what they're doing. That's what we're doing. Or to use the language of our values. They were to go out with faith, community, and mission. That's what they were called to do. Relationship with God, relationship with one another as his people, and and a mission in the world. But we know how the story goes, probably. 
they abandon faith in God, break community with one another, and abort the mission. I mean, we would rather go into business with our, for ourselves. They break partnership with God. The living God, I don't want Him breathing over my back all the time. Break partnership with God. I could do this on my own. And the whole tapestry of creation unravels. Now, this is the world that we live in today. This is the world that we live in today. There are towers of Babel being built on every street corner, you guys. You remember what happens there in, I think it's Genesis 11, as humanity comes together to work on a mission, only this time on their own mission against God? It says this, it says, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. So the mission's been distorted. We were created for partnership with God to help make a name for Him as we move for His glory in the world. But instead, break partnership, go into business for ourselves. Let's make a name for me. Let's make a name for me. And people all over this city, all over this world, that's what they're doing. Living for me, building towers. Here's the crazy thing, you guys. We do this, why? Why why do we do this? Why do we break partnership with God? Because it feels like He's a killjoy. It feels like, 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 like if we could just get out from under His yoke, we'll find life and it'll be awesome. We'll be in charge of our destiny and we'll finally find fulfillment. That's what we think. But what ends up happening is precisely the opposite. I mean, and you see that even work out in the story of the Tower of Babel, where they think they're building up, and it ends up that they're just scattered out. They got nowhere. In fact, they went backwards. And this is what we live here with when we don't partner with God, when we try to do it on our own. We think we're going to find fulfillment. We find the opposite taking place. Life actually starts to feel kind of mundane and boring, and things kind of turn to grayscale. Two-dimensional. We were created for Him. And then when you take Him out of the picture, it just kind of all falls flat. And the color just kind of leaks out of the screen. It's just, oh. It's interesting because even if we got all that we wanted, even if we built that tower, even if we were successful, maybe not immediately, but in the end, what you inevitably find is that something is lacking. Something is missing. So often it's like we build our towers up only to kind of jump off them in the end because we found out there was nothing there. We're still missing something like it was all counterfeit. I thought I'd feel better on the top and I don't. Let me read you something. by Dr. St- uh, or, This is something that uh, Dr. Stephen Berglis said. He's a UCLA psychologist and he counsels... Um, executives on success-induced burnout. And he speaks of this growing phenomenon, hear me on this, called success depression. Success depression. He says this, people have this notion that if only I make CEO, if only I become the top talent agent, if I make my first million, that will do it. All my insecurities will go poof. 
you hit the pinnacle, then you wake up the next day and you're still the same insecure person you always were. You hear that? This is a guy who spends his life talking to successful executives. And he's saying, listen, there is a growing phenomenon called success depression going on. I've reached it. It's not there. There's nothing there. The success didn't actually alleviate my depression. It aggravated it. It's crazy. People live this narrative out over and over again. But when you get to the top, you get depressed because you know there's got to be something more. Where is it? (laughs) We were created for partnership with God to be on His mission to build uh, not Temp, not not towers for our own name, but but tabernacles and temples for His. We were created for Him. I, I don't know if some of you, even in this room, might be in that place. I assume, to varying degrees, maybe you are. I mean, it's got to be hard out there in the workplace in Silicon Valley. It's not easy. Or even as a parent, as a mom, or whatever, stay-at-home dad, whatever you got going on, just to compare yourself with others and to start living for the glory of your name rather than for Him. And there's something that just feels maddening about it, something that just feels empty about it, something that even feels depressing about it. And God is calling us in, Jesus, into something so much more. And I think that's what we see in Second Corinthians Five. That's where Paul is going in Second Corinthians 5. This partnership that we were created for, that we lost, is regained in Christ. Particularly there in Second Corinthians 5.15. Read that with me. He died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him. Who for their sake died and was raised. Did you hear that? Jesus. This is what's awesome about Jesus. We are stuck. In our flesh, in our nature, we are stuck in a downward spiral. We are, we are, we are under the tyranny of self and there is no getting out. Life is just as small as me. Just nothing. We're stuck there. And it's, God, God says, listen, God sent his son, Jesus, into this world to die and rise again so the whole new world of possibility rises with him. Now we, in Christ, can be free from living for ourselves and can actually start to live for him who for their sake died and was raised. We get to live for him now. We're called back into partnership with him. And as Paul puts it down in uh, 2 Corinthians 6.1, we now work together with him. You hear that? We work together with him. This is partnership language. He calls us back into the mission. Even though now not only are we just little old creatures, now we're enemies. This just gets even more amazing. It's not like he's just calling little creatures to partner with him. That in itself is astounding. But then he takes his enemies and says, I want you, I want you working with me. I want you working with me. I'll take you back. I know you broke partnership. Listen, the offer's back on the table. 
in Christ. Let's do this. So, suddenly, where once uh, life was starting to fall flat, lose its color, I mean, it starts to get three-dimensional again. Life starts to come back in. There, there, there's color again as you, as you come under the banner of God's mission. Just, it gives meaning to everything that you're doing. The meaning we always knew we were created for, but could never find. Now, let me ask the question, what exactly then does it mean to be on God's mission, to be in partnership with Him now in Christ? What does that mean? What, what, uh, what is it that we are, in fact, doing? And here's where Ephesians 5.20 comes into play, and it's why I, single, I, I singled out that verse. It's kind of the key verse for our value of mission. Let me read this to you. Ephesians 5.20. Paul says this, We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Did you hear this? What does it look like now to be partner with God in this mission in Christ? It means to be his ambassadors in this world. Like Jesus uh, died and rose again so that we would now uh, live not for ourselves, but for him and work together with him. And what this means is, is I am his ambassador. I am his official representative. I am a representative of heaven here on earth. And we are, we are, uh, or I guess I should say God is making his appeal to the world through us. So God is happy to speak to the world through my mouth and your mouth. He's not ashamed to be associated with us. He designed it to be so, so that we could get caught up in the rush of this whole thing, being used by God for his purpose in the world. And what is it that we're appealing to the world about? We're saying, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. We're calling for reconciliation. So where Adam and Eve, if you think about it, where Adam and Eve were called to go out into an uninhabited world and fill it with God's glory. Now we on the other side of the fall and the cross. Now we are called into something different. We go out into a world that's full except it's full of violence and oppression and injustice and sin and wickedness and depravity We go out into a world that's full and we call people back to that glory in Christ. We're still filling the earth with glory, but now it's a call. Be reconciled to God, the one you left. That's our mission. That's our joy. God, in his holiness and justice, is furious. With the sinner. But God, in great grace and mercy, has poured out his fury upon his son. I mean, that's what is presupposed in this call to reconciliation. Be reconciled to God means, number one, you're not reconciled. You're at odds, you're at enmity with him. His holiness, his wrath, his judgment is upon you. But be reconciled, that call also means, wait a minute. 
He's made a way. He's ready to receive you. There is love here. The cross has made a way. He's calling you back. This is why, this is why we see that it is both the fear of the Lord, verse 11, and the love of Christ, verse 14, that compel us in our mission. Did you catch that? That's why I started in verse 11. It's not as awesome. Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade. But then he comes down to verse 14 and says, knowing the love of the Lord, we try to persuade. It's both. That's what's behind the call. Be reconciled. You're not right, but you can be right today. In Christ. Because he made him who knew no sin to be sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He could be right. He could be reconciled. So we see both God's wrath and God's grace. And we cry out to the world. Be reconciled to God. I couldn't help but think about D.L. Moody. One of my previous pastors always read this. Um. This little vignette about D.L. Moody's life. He was a great evangelist. Um, he's dead now, but here's a, kind of a little vignette from his life. It's powerful on this point. When Dwight L. Moody was in London, during one of his famous evangelistic tours, several British clergymen visited him. They wanted to know how and why this poorly educated American was so effective in winning throngs of people to Christ. Poorly educated, so effective. How? Moody took the three men to the window of his hotel room and asked each in turn what he saw. One by one, the men described the people in the park below. Then Moody looked out the window with tears rolling down his cheeks. What do you see, Mr. Moody? asked one of the men. I see countless thousands of souls that will one day spend eternity in hell if they do not find the Savior. Now that sounds too perfect to be real. I don't know. This is just handed down to me. Uh, It's it was in a, a devotional that I have. But the point is clear. What's going to move us? What moves us? What compels us on this mission? It's a vision of both his wrath and his grace. And, and, and I want to ask you, are we looking out that window as a church? I mean, or I should say, which window are we looking out? I know which one I'm often looking out. It's the one that just kind of sees life as it is available to the, to the natural eye. There's people walking by, cars getting in my way, people I'm saying hi to, friends, neighbors, whatever. But, but are you seeing this other reality playing out? Are you looking through uh, Moody's window here? And seeing hell and heaven and wrath and grace and glory and a mission that just is running through everything you do. The call of God on your life. I want more of that. I want more of those tears. I want more of that for us. Because God, in particular, gives this mission to the church. He entrusts this ministry of reconciliation, as Paul calls it in verse 18, to the church. This calling of the, of the world to be reconciled to God is the calling of the mission of the church. This is interesting because it connects to what we've looked at in previous weeks, but think with me on this. When we are reconciled to God through Jesus, faith, We are, as we saw two weeks ago, reconciled not only to him, but also now to one another in the church. 
community. But as we are reconciled to God and the church, this church is given a ministry of reconciliation for the world mission. We are called, guys, not to just kind of huddle up and enjoy our time here and try to make it to heaven with as few bumps as possible. We are called to get out these doors. We're called to go. We are, we are a people that have, have, have begun. Uh, God has, has saved and initiated us with a purpose for a mission. Let me read you uh, something from Spurgeon on this point. We ought to regard the Christian church not as a luxurious hostelry, I don't even know what that means, but I assume it means like hostile, right? (laughs) Where Christian gentlemen may each one dwell at his ease in his own inn. We're not that. We are a barracks in which soldiers are gathered together to be drilled and trained for war. We should regard the Christian church not as an association for mutual admiration and comfort, but as an army with banners marching to the fray to achieve victories for Christ, to storm the strongholds of the foe and to add province after province to the Redeemer's kingdom. Did you hear that? We're not just cuddling together, you know. We're going out. We're storming the gates of hell and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We have been reconciled to reconcile. We have been saved to save, redeemed to redeem, loved to love, blessed to bless. That's this, this movement of the gospel is going through us and out to the world. And I'll tell you something, if we die, On this mission, we die because Jesus says to lose your life for his sake is to find it. So we're not huddling and cuddling. We're going out. We're on a mission. And as we go out, life, life just comes into three dimensions again. Has purpose and meaning. Partner with God and something that matters. Now, I'm going to move into our a discussion of one of our passions for a moment. If we are on God's mission as God's ambassadors, compelled by a vision of both His holy wrath. And free grace. I think we got to step back and ask the question, flesh that out. What does it actually look like? What is this call to be reconciled to God? What does that look like in my day to day? What does it look like to be on mission in that way in my life? To get at this, I want to identify a particular passion that flows out of our value at this point. Namely, what I would call holistic Evangelism. Holistic evangelism. I'm going to, well, okay, let me back up. Before I, I realize that word holistic might confuse you, but let me, I want to actually back up first and say, what is evangelism in general? 
What is evangelism in general? Uh, certainly evangelism, uh, you would never hear me deny this. Evangelism fundamentally is, is, is proclaiming, is speaking the evangel or the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has died for sinners, rose again from the dead for our justification and salvation. It's a message. Paul even calls it the message of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians 5.19. So the ministry of reconciliation is to proclaim the message of reconciliation. That is fundamental. But this announcement of Christ's death and resurrection is so much more than just mere information dump. It's an invitation for our listeners to come back to the God who created them. To, to come back to Him and start to get put back together themselves. To start to be made fully human again. Like they've lost their humanity in the fall and things are just awry. And the call of the gospel is an invitation back into the fullness of humanity that's available to us in Christ. So in its fullest sense, I think evangelization is rehumanization. Stick with me on this. It's calling the dead back into life. And here's maybe another way of looking at it. Christianity is not drab and dull and boring like it's so often portrayed. Like this set of rules. And like mainly don'ts. And nor is it merely just kind of the set of beliefs that you have to adhere, adhere to and then you're a Christian. Christianity is not merely a set of rules or a set of beliefs. It is actually, guys, a new way to be human. And by new, I mean old. <laughs> because it's the way to be human in the way that God originally designed it again. It's a way to be human as it was uh, originally uh, designed by God. And so what should be happening as we're calling people to Christ I mean, is celebration. That's why what you see in the scriptures is like the hills and the, the trees are clapping and singing as people come back to God. Because life, they're coming alive. They're finding their humanity again. As an illustration of this, um, you might consider that scene uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia with C.S. Lewis, or, or yeah, by C.S. Lewis, where I think it's the line, the witch in the wardrobe, where he, um, Aslan has just been killed, right? And then he rises from the dead. It's an awesome Jesus figure. And then the lion is, 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 is on a mission now. He's going to the, the courtyard of the white witch where there's all these like statues that, of, that used to be people, used to be creatures. And they are now stone. They're now stone, just ice cold in the winter, right? And, and, and Aslan comes and what does he do? He breathes. He breathes on the stone. And then suddenly, it's like the stone starts to thaw. And color starts to kind of come back into these creatures. And there's life again. 
and sort of jumping and singing and living. That is the picture of what I think evangelism is. Evangelization is rehumanization. It's an invitation back into the fullness of life, away from the counterfeits that we've accepted. This is what Jesus does through the preaching of the gospel. He he exhales his spirit, as it were, through the proclamation of his ambassadors. So as we go and speak, be reconciled to God through Christ. It's It's as if Jesus is breathing, breathing onto stone hearts through our words and calling them back to life in himself. Now, that's how I understand evangelism. But what is holistic evangelism? Why do I say holistic evangelism? Um, now, here's there's a lot I could say about this, but I'll, I'll try to be short. Uh, unfortunately, when most people think of evangelism, and, and I, well, I wonder, when you think of evangelism, what is it that immediately comes to your mind? Is it, is it not this, uh, that there's like a technique we need to get? We kind of memorize it in the back of our head or we have it on a little card. And, and, and then we, we go out and we share that with others, uh, usually strangers, which means that usually this process has like our hearts beating out of our chests and our palms sweaty and we're freaking out because it's, it's scary. And we're going to go share, give away our tracks, you know, give our four points or whatever. We think of evangelism uh, kind of on those narrow terms. And, and that is... Uh, Again, don't hear me say that's not, that is definitely evangelism. We, we certainly want that sort of direct approach, but this is not all that evangelism is. It's not all that evangelism is. It's not merely something you do for an hour here or there as the Lord leads, or as your church compels you, <laughs> forces you, <laughs> makes you feel guilty, guilts you to doing. It's not that. Evangelism, in a broader sense, should be happening all the time. It's actually a lifestyle, something you're doing in the everyday stuff of life. It's, it's a key component of this mission, and this mission is happening all the time, not just on that hour when you're approaching strangers with the gospel or knocking on doors, but all the time, everywhere you are, evangelization should be happening. And that's where I'm going with this whole idea of evangelism. Holistic evangelism means we are living out our full humanity before the world and inviting them into it. So we're living out what it means to have Aslan come and breathe me back into life. We're living that out for stony people to see. And we're calling them to our Savior. This is amazing. Life with Him is amazing. So, as a way forward here, let me uh, submit something to you. I actually think that our categories of faith, community, and mission will serve us well here again as we consider holistic evangelism. Hear me on this. If it's true that in Adam and Eve, all humanity was created to be the people in you know, God's presence, uh, as his people and, and going out with his purpose in the world. Or if it's true that, that all humanity were created for faith, community, and mission, uh, then I think we should, as we approach people, uh, 
Be thinking about them on these terms. We know, we know by God's design, they were created for relationship with him. Faith. We know by God's design that they were created for meaningful, deep, loving relationship with one another, other people, community. We know that by God's design, everyone we meet was created for some greater sense of purpose. That they, that they want to be, uh, have a relationship with the world that's full of meaning and richness. Mission. We know that they're wanting these things, that they were created for these things, but we also know that they don't have these things, that they've left these things, that they've settled for counterfeits. But I'll tell you something. I think the Bible gives us uh, 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 evidence that, that there's a residual memory, even in fallen human beings, where they remember something of Eden. They remember something of what they were created for. They're created in his, in his image, and though the image is marred, it still remains And so it's like there's this slumbering sense that I was created for God. I was created for relationship with people. I was created for mission bigger than myself. And here's what happens when we come and we live out the fullness of of this faith and community mission in front of people that don't know him. It's as if we come now into their presence. We come and we're breathing. We're breathing on stony hearts. It's as if we come into their presence and we're kind of blowing on the embers of the image of God in them. Like just blow, as we live out the fullness of humanity that's available in Christ, that they were created for, it kind of blows on the embers of the image of God in them. It just might catch flame. And it's, it's as if we're fanning into flame and desire for the fullness of humanity that's available to them in Christ. So, holistic evangelism attempts to meet the unbeliever along these three lines, I think, of faith, community, and mission. I want to take them one by one, and this is where we'll close. I want you to consider this with me. Consider evangelism along the line of faith, that everybody we meet was created for relationship with God. What does evangelism look like here? Well, this is the one we typically think of. This is when we, we, we're just going to go for it. We're going to talk to you about your relationship with God. We care. We know you were created for him. So let's, let's go. Let's go for it. We're knocking on doors. We're handing out tracts. We're calling up our loved ones and we're just saying it. We're saying, be reconciled to God. We, you need to come back to him and you can through Christ. You were created for him. That's a part of evangelism that's along the line of, of faith, calling them into this relationship with God they were created for. There is another side to it. That's maybe less direct. But it's all going to, again, it's all, all of this is going to lead to the evangel, the gospel, and the proclamation of the message. But consider this for a moment. What if we just lived out, actually lived out our relationship with God before the world? Before the watching world. Meaning, meaning, we know they were created for this intimate relationship with him. I mean, have you ever thought about that? That they don't have that. People that reject Jesus, people that reject the way to God, they don't have that. Like when they go through trials, they just do it alone. They just grin and bear it. And yet they were created for him. And so here's, here's what I'm saying. What if we actually lived the way we live inside the church out into the world, this relationship we have with God? What if we didn't censor ourselves so much? 
is it not true that, uh, this is true of me, is it not true that we kind of have two dialects? We speak one way in the church a lot of times, and then we speak another way in the world. So, like, for example, in the church, somebody asks you, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. So blessed. I mean, let me tell you what God has done. Let me tell you the prayers he's answered. Let me tell you what I, what I, the evidence of grace I got to see this last week. But then you, you walk out of the church, and, and your coworker asks you, you know, how are you? Oh, I'm, I'm good. I feel lucky, man, to be in, in San Jose, and I love the fall time of year. It's really nice, the weather, and, and I'm glad that the Warriors are, 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 season is about to start. And we kind of, we want to say more, but we're like, they'll never get it. That just makes them feel uncomfortable if I start talking about God. But here's my contention. My contention is that they actually need to see it. They need to see us engage the Father. They need to see us live out that relationship. Maybe they come into the church and they see it there and they think, wow, that's weird. I remember when I first came into church, it's, it's weird. People are raising their hands and people are, you know, passionate about some God they can't see and all this stuff is weird, but I couldn't deny. I mean, it was, there was, there was a breath coming onto my stony heart. There, there was, there was, there was something blowing on the embers of the image of God in me. Something was fanning into flame. And so if we do that, gosh, people might just start to see our God. They might just want to come to Him. We can tell them the message of reconciliation. I'm going to name drop here a little bit. Um, because I, 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 I'm thinking of guys like like David Lynn and in this church and and the meeting Jesus discussion group things that we're doing here that's kind of evangelism along the the line of faith meeting Jesus discussion group let's talk to you about your relationship with God I think of uh, Kathy Craig and Josh McGuire and their passion to just go out and do it let's just let's just say it let's talk to people let's knock on doors let's hand out tracts let's do the trainings this is great. I mean, Josh is, guys, Josh is learning Spanish right now because uh, there are a number of people in this neighborhood that you can't reach unless you speak Spanish. Isn't that awesome? It's amazing. We're just going to do it. Let's go. Let's speak. Let's talk to them about their relationship with God. And I just want to keep dreaming as a church about how we can evangelize the world along the line of faith. But now, community. Consider evangelism along the line of community. People, even even fallen people, people that don't know God, were created for meaningful relationship with uh, with others. If you're in this room, you don't know Jesus, you're created for meaningful relationship with others. You have a longing for that. You know that. And when you don't have loving relationship, when your father hurts you or your, your, your girlfriend dumps you, whatever it is, you, you're broken up about it because, you know, it's just it's not right. This hurts. I was created for connection and reconciled relationship. So we know that the whole world was created for this. So check it out. We can get to the message of reconciliation, the message of the gospel, uh, through the way that we relate to people. We live out this full humanity before them. And what that means is, man, there are people, especially in the city, I am sure, that have just been kind of looked over, spit out, you know, like manipulated like objects, just cogs in a wheel. So many of you feel that even in your workplace, like nobody actually cares about me. I'm just a number. I'm a stat. And if it's time to reorg, I'm out. That's all you are. 
And so every relationship you have is just kind of, uh, is this okay? Is this good? And then along comes the church, along comes Christians. And I pray that we, we incorporate more of this in our life and we realize lifestyle evangelism, holistic evangelism, it's happening in the grocery store. It's happening as you walk around the block because you suddenly look at this person in the eye and you say hi, even if they don't say hi back. It happens to me in my neighborhood all the time. Hi. Like somebody's talking to me in my front yard. This is weird. Just say hi. You, 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 you ask them how they're doing. You listen to their story. You, you, you get into their life and you actually care about them. You love them with the love that Christ has loved you. You weep with them. You laugh with them. You share with them. In other words, you treat them like a human being. And as you do that, as you treat them like human beings that they were created to be, it just might be kind of blowing on stony hearts and, and, and blowing on the embers of the image of God in them. Just like, I know I was, what is it about this dude or this church? What is it about the relationships I see here? I was created for it. There's sort of echoes in my memory that this is what it should be like, but what is it? And our community just might lead to uh, them to our God, our faith. And it'll send them out on our mission. Send them out on our mission. I think of, um, I mean, this is essentially what we're doing, you know, with the Sahara Clinic. This is what Lynn Keene is doing there. Is we're trying to reach the poorest of the poor by first serving them and loving them and treating them like humans in a society that just throws them, almost literally, just kind of throws them out uh, with the trash. We love them and we rehumanize them and we pray that they come to know the gospel through that. This is what Pearl Lynn's doing through the kids club. And just calling us to love these kids. It's what Patty Madden is doing with Foster the Bay. I mean, these are the orphans. And we have a father to the fatherless in God. And so we're going and we're loving and we're, we're trying to reach them by just relating to kids that feel abandoned. And then they start to say, wow, God, not just you want to adopt me, but God wants to adopt me in Christ. It's amazing stuff. And I will say it. This is what Joel Lemoyne is doing in my neighborhood. I love, I love, I told you I wouldn't, but I love being in, in Jill's neighborhood. It's great being in her hood. She lives this out. I, I mean, I'm sure many of you are doing this, but I just, it's amazing. She's just there. She's just, she's just in, in the hood, hanging out. She's a front yard evangelist in a backyard culture. She's just Talking to neighbors and, 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 and setting up like almost block parties and things and taking, taking them to hospitals when they need it and just there. And I'm telling you, she's giving people kind of the culture of heaven. She's showing them what they were created for. And, and that has, that has draw towards our savior, does it not? I'm going to keep dreaming. I want to see more of this in our church. Keep dreaming about how we can evangelize the world along the line of community. Let me give you the final one here. Mission. Consider evangelism along the line of mission. People have been created for meaningful relationship with the world. That's what we've been looking at. They've been created for it. And every every person, whether believer or not, longs for meaning in their life. 
to have like a sense of purpose and direction and like, like their life counts for something more. Legacy. Hear people talk about that. We want that. But what happens, as I've said, is they kind of contradict their ends with their means. They go after it the wrong way and by, by kind of breaking partnership with God, going into business for self and everything gets small. But then along comes the church. Then along comes the Christian. Let me tell you something. We do everything differently. We should at least. We have been brought into this mission by God. We've been given this fullness of humanity. We, we operate in this, this, this faith community and mission. We live before him in this way. So what happens is we bring this new humanity into everything we do and the way we relate to the world. So we bring this new humanity into the office place. We bring this new humanity into uh, the, the family room. We bring this new humanity into the classroom. We bring this new humanity into the neighborhood. That people see, wow, we're engaging with the world, our tasks and our projects and, and everything else differently. There's a richer meaning to it all for us, a greater purpose. Let me give you a few examples. When the unbeliever eats and drinks, think about this, we even eat and drink differently, guys. We should. But when the unbeliever eats and drinks, they eat and drink with their appetite in view. That's what Paul says, with their stomach in view. Their God is their belly. So it's just get more in me. It feels good. It tastes good. Great. But when, when the Christian comes and eats a good steak, it's a different experience altogether. Again, at least it should be. Because we do everything, not with regard to our belly, but with regard to our God. And, and First Timothy says, listen, everything's been created to enjoy with thanksgiving. And so suddenly there's this third dimension to the way we eat a steak. Because we're giving thanks to the God who created it and gave it to us as a gift. And we just enjoy fellowship with him, even in the midst of just eating and drinking, doing it to the glory of his name. That's alluring. That looks different to the, wor- to the world. We might be blowing on stony hearts or breathing on stony hearts at that point i'll give you just one more example when we work when we when we work paul says that we are adorning the gospel this is titus 210 we adorn the gospel the message of the gospel we're making the gospel look good in the way that we work we don't work like the rest of the world we don't work just for a paycheck merely we don't work to kind of climb the ladder and make ourselves look good We actually work with integrity because we want to honor our God and make him look good. And we're not owned by our jobs. Our our, our bosses don't own us. And yet, and yet, we want to serve them. But we're free. There's something beautiful about that. We're we're free. And and people might just look in. Your coworkers might just look in and go, wow, what what makes that guy tick? Because it's different than me. I feel like a slave here. I think of Sonby Bruce on this one. Talking with him about... You know, his job's on the line there at Google, and, and what's going to happen? He doesn't know, and people are coming to him, and they're like, dude, I mean, aren't you freaking out? What's up? He said, no. They see this peace in him. They see this peace. And they're coming like, what, what's up? You got like another job lined up that we don't know about? Because it seems like you're, things are about to go under for you. He's like, my God's in control. I don't fret about these things. He's going to take care of me. There's a third dimension, in other words, to my work that you guys don't know anything about, but you were created for. 
See how that's, I mean, that's compelling. That's alluring in Silicon Valley where your job is your life. When you're not owned by it, it's not amazing. These are just various ways, guys, that we can uh, evangelize holistically. That we can participate in the mission of God, calling people to be reconciled to him, to come into the fullness of humanity that is available to them in Christ. So just end this whole series by just saying, uh, maybe you would seriously consider covenanting with us. I'd be overjoyed if you did. Uh, Just join us as we seek to know and love the Lord, the church, and the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us a mission so much greater than ourselves. We thank you, God, that evangelism and this mission is encompasses all of life. It's not just when we go overseas, and it's not just when we open up gospel tracts. It's all the time. It's all the time. God, help us. Please reinvigorate everything we do with the mission that you've put us on and amaze us with the grace that not only initiates this mission for us, it sustains us in it. Thank you, Jesus, that when I fail, when we fail, when we aren't bold, when we are scared, when we do kind of want to huddle and cuddle, when we are just not the way that you created us to be, that that the cross still stands at the center. And you're ready to forgive. And you're ready to draw us in here. And you're ready still to send us out and put us in the game. God, thank you for your mercy with us. We pray that you would use us as a church to reach this world for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.